Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. And Paul throws in one little sentence about David. Look at how many years later David is remembered by Paul in Acts chapter 13. Paul says this, he said, After he, God, God is the he, had removed him, Saul, after God had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Now we see prophesied early on in 1 Samuel that God is going to choose a king who's after his own heart. And then all of these years later, David is the one who is remembered as the man who is after God's own heart. Do any of you ever wonder sometimes, sometimes I'm a little bit morbid, do you ever wonder how are people gonna remember me when I'm gone? probably actually going to think about me for about five minutes and move on with their lives. But you know, have you ever wondered this? What are people going to think of me when I'm gone one day? And to think that David was remembered as a man who was after God's own heart. That's a, that's a pretty high standard. That's something to consider. That's something to think about. And the reason that I believe David, was, there's so many reasons, we're going to get more into that next week, but one of the main reasons David was remembered as a man after God's own heart is because he allowed the goodness of God to impact him in such a way that it impacted his leadership as well. And so this week, the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is Becoming a Good Leader. Becoming a Good Leader. And we are going to discover together how we can become the leaders that God has called us and created us to be. We're going to discover how we can become that which is good in knowing a God who is good. A number of years ago, I was listening to a leadership talk. And the presenter, it was a really good talk. But the presenter framed his entire talk around this one question. What would a great leader do? It's one of those simple questions, but as, a, as he was unpacking it, you're like, oh, there's a lot to think about with this. What would a great leader do? It was a really good talk. But then after he finished his talk, I was, I was then also reading a book at the time that was comparing the differences between good and great. And no, it was not Jim Collins' book, From Good to Great, which some of you might be familiar with. This book that I was reading was actually, in some ways, critiquing Jim Collins' work. Because what we've begun to believe is that good is somehow a lesser form of great. But that's really not the case. They're actually different words that have different meanings and different ideas. You see, good goodness is about essence. Greatness is about results. I'm sure all of us know somebody here who is great at something, but they're not necessarily a good person. We know people who are really great at doing something, but in their essence, they're not really a good person. See, there's a difference between good and great. And while it's appropriate for us at times to ask, what would a great leader do? I think a better question for us to ask would be this. What would a good leader do? What does it mean for us to become people who are so transformed by the goodness of God that we then become good and we begin to push out the goodness of God to wherever it is that he has placed us? What does it mean for us to allow his goodness to transform our hearts, our minds, and our souls so that we begin to perpetuate and push goodness forward wherever it is that we find ourselves? And that's what we're going to discover with David today. We're going to look at three different attributes. Each of these attributes begins with the letter I. So if you're not taking notes, hopefully you can in some ways remember them. 
And we're going to see how does a good leader grow in each of these attributes and also with, with each of the attributes, I'm going to kind of address maybe a societal norm or maybe in some ways a lie that we have come to believe with this particular attribute so that we don't compromise on it, but that we would grow in it and we would become the good leaders that we have been called and designed to be by God. So the first word that I want us to look at today is integrity. This is an important word. Integrity matters. Integrity is important. And I know it's not something that we always talk about a lot or consider, but when we look at the life of David, specifically early on, he was a man of integrity. In fact, I love this definition of integrity from Pastor Craig Rochelle. He said, integrity is when your behavior matches your beliefs. When your behavior matches your beliefs. I'm sure we've all found ourselves in a spot before where we are doing something that we know is inconsistent with what we claim to believe. We've all probably found ourselves making decisions before where we're thinking, why did I do that? Or why am I going to do this? And, and we've all fallen short before. We've all missed the mark. That's what it means to sin. We've all done that before. But is it a continual thing to constantly trade in our integrity to, to, to maybe say, hey, I'm following Jesus, but you know, I'm going to continue to compromise in this spot. It, it's funny, we've even adopted concepts and ideas that make us think that integrity is not all that important. We do this a lot with our political leaders, and I'm not going to talk about one side of the aisle over the other, but I am going to talk about how we view our leaders sometimes. Because I've noticed that if somebody's really strongly supportive of one party or one candidate. They will do everything they can to bring a character assassination against the other person and the other candidate. But when their candidate that they're so loyal to gets caught doing the exact same thing, they will then justify all of the actions because they're just so loyal to their candidate. And a phrase that I've heard that's become really popular recently is, well, you know, it's not about the person, it's about the policy. Or, it's about the policy, it's not about the person, however way you want to say it. And if that's how you feel, that's one thing. But if we're followers of Jesus, and that's the kind of thing that we're saying, shame on us. Shame on us. What legacy do we really want to build? Oh, I compromised all of my convictions. I compromised everything possible just so that I could have whatever was best for me. So, it's, the person matters. Who you are matters. And even taking it out of the political sphere, we've allowed this mentality to come into the church at times as well. How many times have we caught somebody or, or somebody has been caught within the church who's a leader, who has influence, who everyone looked up to, and like, oh, wow, that person wasn't who we thought they were. And instead of having accountability and working through restoration, forgiveness, and all those beautiful, wonderful things, people then rally around the person and say, well, you can't come against God's anointed or you can't come against God's chosen person. As if the gifting is more, is more important than the substance of the person. And what they did, even though it hurt a bunch of other people, it's justifiable because, you know, they're, they're chosen by God. They're God's anointed. Let me let you in on something. If you are not acting like God's anointed and you're claiming to be God's anointed, I'm sorry, the anointing's not there anymore. <laughs> It's out the door. It's gone. Character matters. It's important. And at least in following the way of Jesus, we have to be willing to say, hey, we are going to hold accountability where it is appropriate and when it is appropriate. 
We can't give into this narrative that, oh, it doesn't matter who the person is as long as their gifting gets us to where we need to go. That's, that's not good. That's saying, I'm going, that's saying that integrity is subjective. If your integrity is subjective based off of whatever is best or most convenient for you, that's not integrity anymore. Integrity is consistent. Integrity is consistent. One of the things uh, Craig Rochelle also says, it's kind of a play on words. He says, when you have integrity, nothing else matters. And when you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. When you have integrity, nothing else matters. It's of the utmost importance. I'm going to be consistent. Who I am matters. Who I am is important. But when you don't have integrity, nothing and nobody else matters because you will compromise whatever is possible just to get what you want. But when we turn to the life of David, we see that God greatly cares about integrity. And when we are followers of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, am I doing things that are not, you know, I'm not, you know, Everybody gets, like I said, gets to a spot where I've fallen short. I've done something I wish I didn't do. I made a decision that I knew was bad. But are you constantly trading in your integrity? Are you continually saying, you know what? I'm going to treat people however I want to treat them as long as it works for me. I'm going to speak to my spouse or I'm going to speak to my kids in a way that is completely inappropriate, but you know what? It makes me feel good. Or you know what? I am going to, I'm going to treat those, I'm going to, I'm going to gossip about people because you know what? It makes me feel good and it puts them down. I'm going to watch that content that I know is dishonoring to my spouse, but I'm still going to, you know, I'm going to do it anyway because you know what? I just need this for me. I, I am going to cheat. I'm going to steal. I'm going to lie. I'm going to do whatever I need, but you, you know what? I know I say I follow Jesus, but I'm just going to keep doing this anyway. I, I'm, please don't hear me wrong. I'm not trying to slam down the hammer of condemnation on anybody, but what I am saying is that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and changes us into somebody new. And as people of integrity, we have to be honest. We have to get it out there sometimes. And we have to say, you know what? I'm following Jesus and my behavior is not currently matching my belief and character matters. Who I am matters. In fact, it matters so much that when we go back to the story that we're in, when Saul was just, doing whatever he wanted to do, constantly compromising just to get ahead, constantly compromising just for the approval of others. The prophet Samuel becomes so discouraged that he goes into hiding. And then God says to him, no, Samuel, you got to come out. You got to go to Jesse and you got to go to Bethlehem because one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king of Israel. Samuel's like, okay, I'll go over there. He didn't really feel like it. He was a little bit nervous about going. And he goes, and he ends up and he, and he sees David's oldest son, Eliab, and he's like, oh, this is him. He looks like a king. This has got to be the one, right? And I love this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, we might live in a time where people say, oh, the person doesn't matter, but to God, it, uh, you, who you are matters. Who you are matters. Who you are. Ask yourself, who am I? Who am I? And I don't mean in your identity like, oh, I'm a child of God. Yeah, we get that. You're, we're, all, we're all adopted into God's family once we follow Christ. That's good. But who are you? Who are you in your essence? Who are you when nobody else is looking? Who am I when nobody else is looking? God looks at the heart, and to him, integrity matters. God sees the heart, and he wants to purify and cleanse our hearts so we can become who he designed us to be and so that we are not living beneath our intention. 
And Samuel goes through all seven of Jesse's sons. And it gets kind of awkward. None of these, God didn't say that any of these guys are the right guy. He looks at Jesse and he says, hey, do you have any other kids by chance? Because something's not working here. I don't know what's going on, but something is not working here. Do you have any other kids? He's like, oh yeah, we do. I, I, you know, I almost forgot about him. But there's another one. He's out with the flock. Look at this in 1 Samuel 16, 11. Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest and behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes here. That youngest one who is tending the sheep, David. And David ends up being anointed. He is the one who has the pure heart before God, the heart that God sees, the heart that God calls forward. And David ends up being the one that Samuel anoints to be the next king. And you know what's encouraging about this to me as well? Look at this. There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. David was the youngest one. He was the forgotten one. He was the one out doing the work that nobody else wanted to do. He was the one taking care of things that all the other brothers, they didn't want to take care of. He's the one later on who he had to stay back when all of his brothers went off to war and he had to go deliver some food to them. David was the one just doing the mundane. David was the one just doing the ordinary. David was the one doing the dirty work. I don't want to do any of this, you know? Have you ever felt that before? David was the one who was overlooked and forgotten about. And I just want to remind someone here today that you might feel overlooked. You might feel forgotten about. You might feel as if you're doing the work that nobody else wants to do. Like you're just in a mundane cycle going back, going over and over and over and again. But in your work, God is at work. In the working that you're doing, God is preparing you for a good work that he has called you to. And there comes in this principle here of what it means to be faithful in the little things. Because when we are faithful in the little things, we will begin to see that God is preparing us for what is next. To not compromise and say, oh, I'm just taking care of sheep right now. I'm not really going to pay attention to them. Because what we see later on when David goes to face a giant that nobody else will face, he says, of course I can because I took out the lion and the bear. He's saying, David knew that in his work, God was at work, that God was preparing him for who he would become. And some of you right now might feel overlooked. You might feel like you're just doing the same thing over and over again. You might feel like, I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. Will anybody ever notice me? I feel forgotten about. But I want to let you know that in your what, God is preparing you for who you are going to become. In your what, God is preparing you for who? David was, what was he doing? Oh man, he was looking after some sheep. What was he doing? Oh, he's playing the harp for Saul. What was he doing? Oh, I'm delivering food to my brothers. But then in the moment when God needed a leader, he was ready because he was faithful in the little things. Don't downplay what you're doing. Don't downplay it. Don't think, oh, I'm just doing this. Don't trade in your integrity now and think, oh, I'll be in a person of integrity one day. Let God shape you now. Because right now in the what, he's shaping you into who he has designed you and called you and wired you to be. So choose to have integrity even now, even when nobody else is watching. Because it is in that space that God is forming you and shaping you and making you into who he desires you to be. Integrity matters. Next one, influence which is the title of this series. How do you handle the influence that God has given you? How do you handle the influence that you have other, over others? How am I handling it? 
As we talked about a few weeks ago, are you being a good influence? Am I being a good influence? How are you handling the influence that you've been given? When we get to 1 Samuel 24, David's on the run from Saul. He knows he's going to be king, and he lives eight years of his life on the run without a home, without a people, just his group of guys who are traveling along with him. And in 1 Samuel 24, something really interesting happens. It's a great youth group story. If any of you want to be a youth pastor one day, this, this story always knocks it out of the park with the kids. Because David is in a cave with his men. And Saul comes in and he has to use the bathroom. The scriptures say that he relieved himself. It's one of the few times in the scriptures that we read of somebody using the bathroom. So he's using the bathroom. And David's men say, this is it, David. This is the time. It's the time to take out Saul. It's the time to kill him. He's in the most vulnerable position possible. He's squatting. Just take him out. He can't do anything. Do it, David. Come on. And David says, no. Now's not the time. I am not going to kill him. That's not the right way to do things. That's not the right way to handle things. And David, even though all of his men are around him, even though he has, he has all of the influence in this moment, not only does he have influence in this moment, he has power in this moment. Because oftentimes with influence comes power. He has influence with his men who are following him. He would then have influence if Saul was out of the way because he was anointed to be king. And he also had power in this moment because Saul's in a vulnerable position. And David, instead of choosing to kill Saul, he just cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. And you know, I can only imagine some of the conversations he has with some of his guys. They're probably thinking, David, why did you not take this opportunity? We are tired of living on the run. We are exhausted. Couldn't you just take this guy out? David says, no, now's not the time. David would not violate his conscience. He wouldn't do it. And so the next morning, he confronts Saul and he, and he lets him know, hey, I could have killed you. And look at, what, look at what he says in 1 Samuel 24. He said, now my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand. For in that, I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. David, David had such a clear conscience, and his, he was even just a little bit bothered by the fact that he even cut off the, ro- the, the corner of his robe, and he said, hey, Saul, look at what I could have done. I gotta let you know here. This is another mark of integrity. He lived his life in such a way that even if somebody wanted to say the most horrible things about him, they would not be true. David lived his life in such a way that even if somebody wanted to say, oh, David's this, David's that, David's jealous. Nope. He cleared his, and he confronted Saul and said, hey, here, look at what I could have done. And I didn't. Even though it would have made my life so much easier. And he confronted Saul and said, look at what, and it seems as if Saul repents, but he then just goes back to continually wanting to chase David, being jealous of David. But this brings up an interesting question for us. What do you do when you have all of the power in your hands? What do you do? What do you do when you have all of the power in your hands? How do you handle it? How do you respond to it? What do you do when you're in a position where you know that you have power and authority over others? Maybe just over one person, maybe it's over a group. How do you handle it? Do you view the power that has been given to you as something that's an honor and a privilege? Or do you view it as something that you're entitled to? What do you do when you have all of the power in your hands? Do you use it to domineer over others? Do you use it to just get your own way? 
What do you do? Because David in that moment had all the power in his hands. And instead of choosing to push forward for his own will or whatever would be best for him, he chose in that moment to submit to God's will and God's timing. And this is something that we have to address as well. Because sometimes as believers, as those who follow Jesus, we misconstrue the power that has been given to us by Christ. We think, oh, I have power. I have knowledge. So you know what my job is? My job is to go tell everybody why I'm right and everybody else is wrong. My job is to, you know, to, you know, just speak for, you know, whatever I think is right and why everybody else is wrong. My job is to elevate myself and put others down. Sometimes we begin to adopt that mentality. We begin to treat our faith instead of something that God has given us. We begin to treat it as something we're entitled to and we use it as a structure and a construct to elevate ourselves as opposed to serving others. But when we get to Jesus, we find Jesus Christ, the son of God, God in the flesh, the one who always had all of the power all of the time, who had full influence all of the time with his power. And he never used his power to force himself on someone. He never used his power to, 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 you know, hey, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Jesus was constantly demonstrating that even in the, even in the fullness of his power, he had been called to serve others. I love this passage in John chapter 13, where Jesus knows that the cross is getting close. He knows things are about to get really bad. And what does he choose to do in that moment? He chooses to wash his disciples' feet. Look at this in John chapter 13. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. It just makes Jesus a a leader who's worth following. Jesus never calls us to do anything that he himself did not do. It's unbelievable. But in this moment where Jesus had all the power, he chose to wash his disciples' feet. But what's so stunning to me is one of the disciples who was sitting there that he chose to serve in that moment was Judas, the one who he knew would betray him. And he could have easily used his power in that moment to condemn Judas to scream at Judas. With a snap of his fingers, he could have taken the life of Judas. But instead of using his power to make a statement or to be domineering, he chose to serve. And the power that has been given to us by Christ in his Holy Spirit is not a power so that we can go around on our high horse with, a, with self-righteousness and just point out everything that's wrong. The power that's been given to us is a power to serve. It's a power to care. It's a power to extend compassion and kindness and grace, just as he did for us. It's a power that says, I am going to see beyond the temporary of what's just convenient for me. And I'm going to choose to work for the eternal, even though it's not always what is easiest. And that's what David chose to do. And ultimately that's the example that Christ set for us as well. When we have the power, we shouldn't use it to force our own will. We should use it to continue to spread God's will, which is a will of grace and forgiveness and mercy and service.
And the last attribute we're gonna look at is inspiration. To ask ourselves the question, what is the source of your inspiration? What is the source of my inspiration? Where are we getting, what is motivating us? What is driving our decisions? As we talked about with King Saul, the source of his inspiration was his insecurities. But the source of David's inspiration was who God was and who God had shaped him and called him to be. Just two chapters after 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26, we read of another incident where David has the opportunity to take the life of Saul. Saul's camping out. He's sleeping with his group of guys. And David and his buddy Abishai, they say, hey, let's sneak in there. Just a crazy idea. Let's sneak in there and see what they're up to. And next to Saul's head is a spear. And Abishai, he's, he's an ambitious man. He says to David, let's take the spear and stab Saul right now. And he says, well, just one stab. It won't even take two. That's what he, he said, two won't be necessary. I'm like, Whoa, Abishai, a little violent there. But, but he says, two won't even be necessary. David says, no, 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 no. He might be wicked. He might be doing things that we don't like. He might be making my life, you know, a living you know what. Some of you wouldn't mind if I said that. Some of you would, so I'm gonna respect all parties today. <laughs> he might be doing that, but that's not what God wants. That's not what he wants. And this is such a powerful leadership move from David as well to demonstrate that his inspiration came from God because he could have very easily inspired Abishai to kill Saul because Abishai wanted to. But when your inspiration comes from God, you inspire others to work for the good as well. You don't inspire them to work towards destruction. But David could have, so, so many justifications could have popped up for him in this moment. He could have said, Abishai, yeah, kill him. Because then you know what? His blood will be on your hands and not mine, technically speaking, right? And my life will be easier. I won't be on the run anymore. And we can just say, hey, Abishai did it. And whatever consequences come in, thank you for serving me, Abishai. I'm the leader. I'm anointed. Thank you for doing that for me. He could have done that. And there's such a temptation at times when you're a leader to view the people who are following you as a means to your own personal end, which is what David could have done. I want to be king. I'm tired of living on the run. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to just let Abishai do this for me, get this out of the way for me. I, because you know what? I want to be king and I'm tired of living life in an inconvenienced way. I'm so sick and tired of this. But David did not view Abishai as a product to expand his own personal platform. David viewed Abishai as a person. And he knew that if he would have said, hey, go ahead and kill Saul, that wouldn't have been what was best for Abishai, even though it may have been what was best for David. And you can see the source of a person's inspiration by what they choose to inspire others to do as well. So the next morning, David confronts Saul again. They took his spear. They took his water jug. They didn't do anything to him. They moved on and they confronted him and said, hey, we got your spear. We got your water. David gives this whole speech. And I love this right here. David says in 1 Samuel 26, the Lord will reward each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. 
So the Lord will reward each man. David was clear. My reward comes from God. My inspiration comes from God. I am seeking his righteousness and his faithfulness. I'm not seeking the approval of others, even though all of my men say, hey, you should kill Saul. I am not finding the source of my inspiration from that. My source of inspiration comes from God and his will and his righteousness and his faithfulness. And that's what we have to seek as well. God, cleanse my heart. May my inspiration come from you, God, so that I don't just think about the good of me or my own will, but we think within the realm and the perspective of the good of others and his will and his kingdom. The, what can be so tempting is when we begin to live for ourselves, to start to see the world through the perspective of what I deserve. Well, I deserve this. I deserve fill in the blank, whatever. This is, this is honestly kind of a mentality of the society we live in. I deserve this. I deserve it. I deserve it. I did the work. I deserve it. I deserve the raise. I deserve, I deserve the promotion. I deserve the title. Whatever it is, you, I deserve that relationship. I, put, I deserve the, get it. We've all been there before where you thought you deserved something and you didn't get it. It's tough. It's difficult to wrestle with. It can be a little bit heartbreaking at times. But my challenge would be that we would adopt the perspective of David. Because if anybody deserved something, David deserved to be king. A prophet of God came to him and told him he would be the king. If anybody deserved anything, he deserved it. But David didn't view the calling from God as something he deserved. He viewed it as something he had been given. He didn't view it as, I deserve to be king, so I'm going to take out Saul and I'm going to take what is mine. I'm going to take what is rightfully mine. Just waited on God. His inspiration came from God. His focus was on God. And I wonder how different our lives would look if we stopped viewing the world through the perspective of what I deserve and instead started viewing the world through the perspective of look at what I have been given. Look at what God has given on me. Look at what God has given us. Instead of always thinking about, I deserve it, I deserve it. Instead of saying, starting instead to say, wow, God, you have given me so much grace even though I didn't deserve it. You have given me so much mercy. Thank you, God. You have given me forgiveness. You have given me favor. You have given me blessing. You have given me life. You have given me hope. You have given me, you have given me spiritual gifts. You have given me a part to play. You have been given me adoption into your eternal family. I wonder how different our lives would look if we started look, not looking at what we think we deserve, but instead we started looking at, wow, look at what God has given me when I did nothing nothing to deserve it because it's not based on the works I've done. It's based on the work of Christ. But as I allow his work to be at work within me, he will begin to change the works that I am doing. What would it look like if we started living lives that were truly inspired by him and we weren't living for the temporary, but instead we chose to live for the eternal? See, when we become people of integrity, when our behavior matches our belief, when we walk with Jesus and we say we, we follow him and, and, and our lives begin to look more and more like him, we become people of integrity. When we begin to use our influence, not just for the good of me, but for the good of others. When, when we begin to find our inspiration in him above all else, he will begin to shape us and change us and we won't just merely be people who accomplish great things, but because we know the one who is good, he will shape us in his goodness and we will become good leaders 
who accomplish great things for the good of others. So let's say, hey, I'm all in. Holy Spirit, shape me into a person of integrity. Show me how to use my influence to serve others. Holy Spirit, be the loudest voice in my life so my source of inspiration will come from you. Because together, we as the church can then become the people that God has called us to be. And we will become good people who accomplish great things for the good of others.